Thanks, Adam. Thank you, everybody, for joining today's meeting on energy management analytics. A uh, very timely topic. Of course, energy management analytics was a big topic before COVID, but uh, kind of like all these virtual meeting software platforms, um, it was there before, but now it's just gone crazy as we all try to do what we did before, but on a remote basis. Um, we are very lucky tonight to have Hadas Webb here. She is a foremost leader in this industry. She's been doing this for more than 20 years. She's the head of analytics at Symmetrics, which is one of the leading vendors in this area. Um, so yeah, it should be super exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Hadas, off to you. All right. Thank you for that intro, Paul. I'm excited to be here too. Um, this will stop other screen sharing. Do you want to continue? Yes. Let's see. So um, what are you seeing on your screens now? Looks good. Mm -hmm. right. title slide. Okay, good. So thank you for the introduction, Paul. I'm excited to be here. Hopefully we'll all be able to get together in person soon, but for now uh, we'll enjoy the benefits of doing this from the comforts of our home. So um, I'm Hadas Webb and I'll be talking about energy management analytics, benefits, pitfalls, and best practices for achieving your analytics goals. Uh, so a quick intro, uh, Paul gave a little bit of background about uh, Symmetrics. So Symmetrics is a world leader in analytics technology for automated systems since 1989. Um, we think of ourselves as a technology enabled consultancy and we consist of two branches. One is the consultancy, one is the technology. And I'm on the consultancy side. I had the uh, analytics group and we provide monitoring based commissioning services as well as many other engineering services. And we also have a technology branch which provides um, hardware and software for uh, building networking. Um, so why am I doing this presentation? I'm here to help organizations focus their efforts to increase data maturity and maximize the value of their analytics investment. And why now, as, as Paul implied, um, I think we all realize now that we can't predict the future, but preparation yields resilience. Um, so learning justice, we're, we're at the point now in the analytics adoption timeline where people understand uh, the potential for energy analytics. People know that automated analytics can find insidious faults like simultaneous heating and cooling that waste energy and impact building health. Um, and it's been demonstrated over and over again that analytic, building analytics reduces energy, reduces the labor and so on. Um, so why isn't everyone doing it? Why aren't there analytics in every building that has data available? And I, I think it's because there, there still exist some barriers to entry. And I, I think of those barriers as having three parts. The first is understanding the benefits of analytics. And again, I'm not talking about um, automating simultaneous heating and cooling faults or, or equipment scheduling. I'm talking about um, a quantitative method for understanding the goals, um, expectations, and KPIs for managing an analytics program. And just like you would for any other program or initiative that you undertake. Um, the second barrier I think is overcoming the pitfalls of an analytics program. And this is where I'm going to be spending most of this presentation uh, to, so that you can be prepared to address some of these pitfalls and ensure that your program is successful. Um, and, and finally, how do you get started? How do you get an analytics program off the ground? So uh, we'll start with the benefits of energy analytics. Uh, so Energy analytics provide, provides operational optimization and that comes in the form of capturing energy avoidance opportunities early uh, so that you don't miss out on energy savings. It identifies holistic trends and effects of interdependencies that you couldn't really do without having data from different sources all come together. 
um, you get life cycle management um, and correction for equipment and system performance drifts. And you can optimize resource deployment. This is particularly important these days um, because you want to minimize staff interaction and um, targeted recommendations and prioritization that come from uh, building analytics um, also comes out uh, or also benefits uh, optimized resource deployment. Uh, so these operational optimization opportunities yield institutional level benefits. Um, and those institutional benefits include uh, establishing trust, uh, that transparency, that trust through data transparency, um, ensuring your energy efficiency investments by having an MNV to demonstrate their results. Uh, reducing energy costs and greenhouse gas emissions, everyone's familiar with that benefit, um, improving co occupant comfort, safety, patient satisfaction, customer satisfaction, etc. Minimizing downtime, increasing resilience, um, meeting compliance requirements and sustainability goals. This is of growing importance uh, and compliance includes uh, BL3 certification, biolab certification, joint commission commissioning um, for government buildings, uh, the building analytics can help meet the requirements for EISA 432. Um, it can support ESG tracking and reporting and also of growing importance is um, state and municipal climate change mitigation requirements that building analytics can, can support. But the most important thing uh, about these institutional benefits is that they are measurable and uh, they can and should be evaluated periodically to ensure a successful analytics program. So in the next few slides, I'll focus on a few of these benefits. Uh, so starting with energy cost savings, which is uh, the most important benefit to most of our clients. Um, what you see here is um, the graphs from a recent study from Lawrence Berkeley National Labs, which is funded by the Department of Energy, they released an interesting paper a couple of months ago titled uh, Proving the Business Case for Building Analytics. And uh, this is the results from their Smart Energy Analytics campaign, which you may be familiar with. Um, it covers uh, half a billion square feet of, of facility space and, and thousands of buildings, so it's pretty comprehensive. Um, so their research showed that organizations achieved an average of 9% energy reduction two years after the start of an FDD program. FDD is fault detection diagnostics, uh, which is a key component of building analytics. Um, so after two years, you're at 9% energy savings reduction and that continues year over year and continues to grow as long as you have an FDD program. And uh, the research also showed that the average payback period is two years, which is not very long. And that includes the cost of repairs. Um, and previous data has shown that those savings are persistent until you stop the FDD program or the analytics program. And at that point, savings start to degrade upon termination of the program, um, even one year out by up to 20% and continue to degrade. So what do these numbers look like across the Symmetrics portfolio? Like I said earlier, we've been doing this for a long time. Um, we've had analytics for 20 years. So I, I wanted to see what our own numbers revealed about energy cost savings. Um, so these numbers are based on just the Symmetrics database, which is still um, over uh, 40 million square feet of facilities across hundreds of buildings. Um, and another note is that most of the buildings in our portfolio tend to lean to the higher end of the EUI spectrum. We have a lot of labs and healthcare facilities that have a higher EUI. Um, so what we found is uh, in, in just the first year of having the Symmetrics Analytica program, our clients saw an average of 40 cents per square foot and identified energy savings and achieved an average of 22 cents per square foot in energy savings. Um, identified and implemented energy savings peaked in year two um, at a pretty high point. Uh, average across all our customers was uh, 68 cents per square foot 
of the newly identified savings just in year two. Um, the numbers here show newly identified and implemented savings each year. These are not cumulative. Um, another interesting piece of information that came out of the data when I pulled this up was that a second peak emerges in year six for those clients that stick around for, for many years. And this is due to um, equipment life cycle and performance drift correction. And this really demonstrates the importance of continuing with the analytics program. Um, and one other interesting piece here is that uh, the implemented savings lagged identified savings by about 10 cents per square foot. And, and just a reminder, these savings numbers represent annualized avoided energy costs. So year over year, these identified and achieved energy savings will be persistent. Uh, so moving on to our current reality, um, I'll talk about some of the benefits that analytics provides for the pandemic. Um, I, this is our present day. I hope this isn't something that we're going to have to worry about long term, but it does demonstrate the importance of energy analytics as an essential preparedness tool for whatever the future does bring. Um, and what we've heard from our customers is that building owners and operators that had a successful building data analytics program in place were better positioned to handle the new challenges of the pandemic era. So our monitoring-based commissioning program helped um, keep buildings running efficiently and the energy savings opportunities that we identified help offset some of the big ticket uh, COVID mitigation measures that they ha had to install. Uh, and we also released a paper a couple months ago that you may have seen that uh, quantifies the energy impact of some of the more common mitigation measures uh, like extended equipment runtime and increased airflow. And all those measures combined, depending on your geography, can cost over a dollar per square foot of condition space. So it's really important to take advantage of energy savings opportunities. Um, in addition to that, uh, energy analytics can provide MNV for uh, COVID related changes to make sure, yes, you're bringing in enough outside airflow. Uh, we've used our data to provide energy calculations to support CARES Act applications. Um, and possibly one of the most important benefits of energy analytics during the pandemic is um, that we can ensure building health by monitoring unoccupied spaces for issues that would normally be reported by occupants and by monitoring occupied space conditions. Um, some of our customers are using CO2 as a proxy for particulates. Um, and there's some evidence that shows that humidity plays a role in, in mitigation and transmission. And both of those, uh, as well as other parameters, are monitored by our system. Uh, so here's an example of uh, what we call our utility manager dashboard and how we've used this to verify changes to equipment operation back in March when there is a shutdown. Um, so this data is pulled from meters at a large university campus in the Mid-Atlantic. So the utility manager shows uh, readings from the meters. It can show the actual meter values with the spark lines and, and other visualizations. Uh, and it, it also shows uh, comparison between um, different periods. So um, what you see here is the period of March of this year, March through April of this year. And uh, we're looking at a comparison against the previous month. So. If you look down the electricity column, you'll see that most uh, in most of the buildings, the electricity use went down in March. And this was expected because they turned off the lights in most of the buildings. So this was used to confirm that what, what they think they did actually worked to reduce electricity use. Um, but what was interesting when we looked at this is that the chilled water use increased in March compared to the previous month. And when we compared it to the previous year, it actually went up from the previous year. So we had to do a little bit of data diving into the data. Unfortunately, we had data from different sources. We had the HVAC data, we had the meter data, we had weather station data, and we were able to find out that there was the usual March warm up, which happened to occur on a weekday. So that explained 
the increase relative to February. And it also, uh, the March warm-up the previous year happened to fall on a weekend. This year it was during the week when there are more buildings in use. So that kind of explained the increase over the previous year. So again, this is an example of how having uh, the meter data along with other data sources helped us um, both verify uh, expected operation and troubleshoot unexpected operation. Um, moving past COVID, which we will hopefully do soon, uh, another benefit of analytics is that it can help establish trust in decision-making processes. And one of the things we hear repeatedly from our customers is that they use our findings to support capital projects and retrofits because um, we are viewed as a neutral third party when we provide the data. So uh, data provides transparency that helps establish trust during the decision-making process. Decisions are backed by evidence of projected project value. And MMV data ensures effective evaluation of results. So when uh, a, a management team goes into the project, um, there's a comfort in knowing that they're gonna have the data after the launch to evaluate the results as they go. So I'll, I'll walk through an example of this. Um, at one of our clients, which is a higher ed research building, they developed a plan to replace 170 individual lab freezers with a central automated sample management system. And if you know anything about research samples, you know that that's, that's their life, that we're talking millions and millions of dollars worth of samples and research. Um, and, and what this is, it, uh, this is a biorepository, which is a, a, basically a vending machine for lab samples. The researchers could walk up to this, swipe their card, and their lab sample would drop out. So we, we are, were involved in different parts of this project. Um, but before this even launched, we were able to estimate what the required cooling load would be on the ventilation system um, based on the data that we've collected through the analytics program. And because we were involved during the design phase, we could do a data sufficiency review on the instrumentation that was being installed to ensure that the analytic system would have the data needed for fault detection. And also um, it was important to the building managers that they would be able to establish a baseline and evaluate usage over time. Uh, so we did a cost comparison that helped justify the project. Um, and that cost comparison involved um, both building data and equipment specification. And we compared the expected energy use of the biorepository to um, the individual freezer use. Um, so you see some of the numbers there. Uh, those are the energy saving numbers. There are also additional uh, cost savings due to reduced labor for equipment maintenance of, of a single uh, equipment versus individual freezers um, and, and also manual sam uh, sample handling that are not factored in there. So uh, once the equipment went live, oh, we ran our, um, our building analytics and we identified an oscillating chill water valve, which you see in the, in the figure up here. This is what the fire repository looks like. Um, so in the figure up here, you see uh, the oscillating chill water valve that we were able to identify. And in this case, it's not just that the oscillating valve um, impacts equipment life, but it caused large swings in chilled water supply temperature and that can affect process equipment performance. Uh, so again, this is an example of how energy analytics was used throughout this project to establish trust in, in the decision-making process for basically a complete overhaul of one of the critical components of this research institution. Um, so I can spend hours talking about the many benefits of building uh, an energy analytics, but I wanted to move on to some of the pitfalls and how we can overcome them. So the, the limitations of data analytics that I'm gonna cover and, and explain how to overcome are, are three parts. Um, data does not provide value in and of itself. Um, you may have heard the expression, data is the new oil. And um, similar to oil, raw data isn't valuable in and of itself. The value is created when it's gathered completely and accurately 
correlated to other previously disconnected pieces of information and domain knowledge and done so in a timely manner. And when properly refined, data becomes a decision-making tool that allows you to be proactive and intentional in your decision-making. Uh, the second limitation of data analytics is um, data is not guaranteed to be accurate. Just because you have the data doesn't mean it's right. Uh, and I'll talk about this in detail in a few slides. Um, and finally, data is not free from bias. Um, data is, is sometimes perceived as purely objective, but until we're at the point where we're collecting every piece of data from every system in the world, there is gonna be some bias introduced into your, uh, into your software from the data selection process and from the algorithms used to process the data. So um, how do we extract value from data? Because actions, not data, drive success. Um, before I even talk about how to extract value from data, I think it's important to have a means of evaluating those actions. Um, so I, I mentioned in a previous slide that implemented savings lagged identified savings by about 10 cents per square foot. That adds up across a campus or a large facility. Um, so Symmetrics has a, a bucket of implementation tracking visualizations, as I think other uh, analytics software platforms do. Um, one of the ones we have, the first one I'm going to talk about, is called the Law Savings, uh, the Law Savings Chart. Uh, this chart illustrates how um, equipment faults translate to lost energy over time. We show the running cost total of the unimplemented measures to date to quantify the lost opportunity or the cost of doing nothing. And the bottom figure compares your site's implementation rate. So here it's a, a large Massachusetts University in blue. Um, com we compare your implementation rate to the symmetrics benchmark across all our customers in green. Um, and these types of data visualizations particularly help our customers with third party uh, vendor management and tracking KPIs like energy cost avoidance attributable to each vendor. Um, in terms of other means of extracting value from data, um, most analytics platforms have built-in features that facilitate implementation like um, task assignment and tracking is a big one that we, that we use in our analytical platform. Um, there's integration into your maintenance management system. Uh, automatic prioritization is, a, is one that our customers find important. Um, so you should make sure to understand and use the features that are available in your analytics platform and make sure you, um, you find ones that integrate into your workflow. But what we've found most helpful in driving value is having a dedicated symmetrics analyst assigned to each customer to help interpret the findings decide on best path resolution, provide MNV um, during and after a repair, and submit rebate applications for any eligible measures. Um, and one other method of ensuring value is automated fault correction. Um, this is something that's still in its infancy, but some analytic systems are developing a way to automatically write to your building automation system, for example, based on the identified faults. Uh, and this is clearly gonna apply only to software faults and AI isn't gonna go out and replace a broken valve. Uh, so the benefit of this approach is that it reduces any delay in achieving energy savings, but it comes with a risk um, and the risk comes in the form of both network security and safety liability. Um, so for example, it's going to be a bit risky to adjust the static pressure of an air handler without a full understanding of the history of that piece of equipment and the spaces that it serves. Um, but some faults are lower risk, for example, uh, equipment oscillation or hunting or um, sensor bias correction. Um, so you can avoid some of the risks uh, by choosing uh, lower risk faults. Um, another way to avoid some of the risk is by having uh, operator approval. So something popping up on your screen saying, do you approve the software to make this change? Um, but even there, you're still left with uh, ha handling the security liability because 
you're no longer decoupling the analytics system from your building automation system or whatever your data source is. Uh, in terms of internal resource allocation as you plan for an analytics program, the most important thing that, that we found is that someone in the organization needs to own the program. Someone needs to own it. Someone needs to be responsible for scheduling the meetings, managing work orders, tracking KPIs, et cetera. Um, so back to the LBNL study that I mentioned earlier, um, that research also revealed that organizations interacted with their fault detection system, um, fault detection and diagnostic system, an average of eight hours per month per building. And uh, again, looking at our own symmetrics data set, what I found is that clients who meet at least quarterly to review the analytics results and plan for implementation have nearly double the implementation rate as clients that meet less frequently. And this is due to the time it takes. Uh, oh, sorry. Um, another interesting uh, piece of information that came out of the numbers that I looked at is that there was only a slight improvement when clients went from quarterly meetings to monthly or more frequent meetings in terms of uh, their implementation rate. And um, I think that this is due to the time it takes to order parts, schedule repairs, et cetera. Um, so meet quarterly to review the results, plan for implementation at minimum. Um, if you wanna meet more than that, that's great. But um, what's most important is that you meet at least quarterly and develop a plan for getting results. Uh, and LBNL has also previously provided a um, monitoring-based commissioning template that, among other things, identifies a list of team members that should be part of your analytics program. Um, and this is helpful in providing some guidance as you develop your program. Uh, another step toward extracting value from your data is to prioritize your remediation efforts based on your own goals for each facility and each institution. Um, so for most of our clients, their top priority is energy reduction, but maybe yours are occupant comfort or something else. Um, here's a screenshot from the customer workspace for, for one of our customers. Um, and you can see that sensor calibration was a high priority for them. For example, in this top line, uh, we saw that their air acuity CO2 measurements were not accurate. And since the site was using CO2 as part of their COVID mitigation strategy, they immediately scheduled their air acuity service wrap to come out and, and correct the issue. Um, and another consideration is fault prevalence. Uh, another example is at one of our client sites, which was a brand new commercial, a very large commercial office building. We found a single inefficient heat wheel sequence of operation program into about 20 air handlers. So during the design process, this was not programmed correctly and copy pasted across multiple units. So even though each one of those faults only had maybe third, $3,000 to $5,000 per year of energy savings. By focusing their efforts on that single sequence, they were able to achieve a, a much bigger um, energy reduction. So they started by fixing it in a single air handler. And after they confirmed that it was working correctly, they rolled it out to the other air handlers. Um, fall prevalence is gonna depend a lot on um, factors such as facility type. Um, a lab building is not gonna have the same types of faults as a, an office building. Um, it's gonna depend on building age, uh, the climate. Um, climate's gonna ha have an effect not just on false prevalence, but the impact that the faults are gonna have. So an economizer issue is gonna have a bigger impact in, in New England than it is in Alabama. Um, so some more numbers from our Symmetrics database on fault prevalence. 63% um, of air handlers have faults. 33% of those faults have energy savings. 52% of all identified energy savings are due to leaking, heating, or cooling valves. And sequence optimization recommendations account for over a third of energy avoidance opportunities, um, followed by equipment scheduling.
data management uh, is another important component for an accurate and robust analytic system. Um, there's a lot of words on the slide because this really is an important piece for, for having a successful program. Um, data management involves data integrity, data conditioning, and data sufficiency, and I'll go over each one of those in a little bit of detail. Um, data integrity refers to the accuracy of the data. So fault sensor, uh, faulty sensor data can override intended control strategies, and this could result in false flags or missed opportunities. Your analytic system um, needs to be able to uniquely recognize sensor errors versus calibration issues versus poor sensor location and BIS point configuration errors. And the algorithms need to factor in calibration errors and thresholds, for example, um, taking into account the temperature rise through your ductwork. Uh, ongoing sensor maintenance is also required for accurate readings. And uh, we also see that points are often mapped and remapped. Um, the next item is data conditioning. And data conditioning includes recognizing and excluding anomalous data like spikes, interpolating gaps in data to model continuous trends, and differentiating between transient and persistent faults. Um, so an example of the importance of that, at, at one of our sites, they programmed a fail to close alarm for their valves in their building automation system. But during the startup period, they were getting a lot of sporadic alarms. So they got in the habit of ignoring those fail to close alarms. They didn't prioritize them. And then when there actually was a chill water, a leaking chill water valve, it was missed because those, um, those alarms were faulty. Um, the third co component of data management is uh, data sufficiency. Fault detection and root cause analysis are dependent on data sufficiency. And remediation is streamlined through targeted root cause analysis. Um, and in the absence of robust data, a sophisticated AI can classify multiple possible symptoms into a decision tree and prioritize uh, the most likely root cause. Um, an, an example of the importance of data insufficiency is um, a unit that is simultaneously heating and cooling based on the valve signals. If you don't have the mixed air temperature and the preheat discharge air temperature, you won't be able to determine um, the root cause or the degrees of excess um, heating or cooling. So data insufficiency makes root cause analysis difficult and um, makes remediation more involved because it's more costly to have a facilities, your facilities team go and inspect the unit and try to do a deep dive um, without having that root cause. And ASHRAE has codified the importance of data sufficiency in guideline 36. Um, the last component I'm going to discuss on the topic of data quality is topological system modeling. And topological system modeling refers to the layout of both uh, internal equipment components and mapping of the relationship between all the pieces of equipment that make up a system. So how does the central ant plant interact with air distribution system? How does the air distribution interact with zone, zone terminal equipment? How are they all connected? Um, so having a comprehensive uh, topology helps with accurate fault diagnostics, both within uh, a piece of equipment, for example, within an air handler, um, and in holistic fault detection in, in whole buildings and campus-wide systems. So this figure shows the layout of the air handler fans, uh, sensors, valves internal to the unit, as, as well as the relationship between the air handler and the terminal units and the air handler and the exhaust stream that feeds the supply air. But all that information should be captured in your analytic software. Uh, if you don't have detailed equipment specifications like mechanical schedules or drawings, you can isolate the operation of a particular piece of equipment, for example, an air handling unit and see how that affects downstream equipment. Um, for example, the airflow or pressure in the BAVs and try to extrapolate the uh, topological relationship that way. 
um, during the design phase, if you can embed topological information and the point names, that will help develop the site model. And there's also multiple projects underway in the industry to standardize uh, metadata structure and topology, uh, such as Project Haystack, which you may have heard about. Um, so the last limitation of data analytics that I want to mention is systemic bias. Um, there's no shortage of catchy headlines on how AI can introduce bias or amplify bias, but the fact is that algorithms in general are still shown to be less biased than human decisions. Um, so bias is introduced into an analytics, AI, or machine learning through the data selection process, which is called training data, and through the algorithms used to process that data. So a few examples of um, bias that applies to the building industry include um, comfort standards that are based on uh, young Caucasian male body types, for example, ASHRAE standard 55, um, training data for biometry that is skewed towards white males and therefore falsely identifies African-American and Asian bases. Um, and heat islands that result from historically racist housing policies create an imbalance of energy use across communities. Um, so the message here is that we can work together to reduce this bias within the building industry through energy analytics. So let's get started. Um, one of the first things you'll probably look at when you're planning for an energy analytics program is cost. Um, going back to that LBNL study from October, uh, I think this is the last time I'll mention that LBNL study. Um, what they found was that there was a very wide range in costs for analytics. And um, that was for both the base cost or the setup fee and for the ongoing service. And what drove that cost was the depth and complexity of your fall detection and diagnostic system and the extent of data integration and the level of service. Um, so that's why it's important to understand what, what you're getting and what you're paying for. So some factors to keep in mind are uh, costs associated with software upgrades. Um, so Symmetrics continues to build and improve our software library and our user interface on an ongoing basis. And those changes are all automatically rolled out to all of our clients. Um, another thing to think about is what happens when there is a BAS upgrade or innovation. How much reconfiguration is going to be required within the uh, analytics system? And who's going to be responsible for it? Who's, uh, how much will that cost? Um, and what resources are available for training and engineering support. Um, and we found that the, the training and the engineering support really set different programs apart in terms of uh, the value that you get from them. And also think about whether you have internal resources to review the data, calculate the energy savings, repair equipment, change sequences of operations, or are you gonna be dependent on third parties for some or all of that effort? Um, beyond costs, there, there are a lot of other considerations when evaluating different programs, and this is where the nuances between the different analytics systems really comes into play. So it's worth the time to understand these different options, especially when comparing cost differences. So um, there's a lot of information on this one slide, but I think it is important to understand them. Um, so the first one is what, what are your data requirements? Where is the data coming from? Is it going to be coming from interval meters, your building automation system, process equipment, IoT devices, data energy, and determine, uh, figure out where your data is coming from, and then determine an appropriate polling frequency for your data sources. So if you're just reading interval meters, maybe you want five minute uh, data intervals. Um, for building automation, probably 15 or 20 minutes is sufficient. If you're looking at process equipment, then maybe you need 30 second increments. Um, in terms of initial and ongoing configuration, uh, what, um, what configuration is required by the end user versus the system provider? Um, what's included in the FDD library? Do you have access to any built-in rules and visualizations? Are you able to customize the rules and visualizations? Um, Symmetrics has over 2,000 rules in our library. And those are all available um, as soon as you flip the switch and start the analytics program, all of those faults start running um, as well as the visualizations associated with them. Um, 
And again, what happens if uh, coins change or equipment change? Um, how, how is the reconfiguration handled? Do you have to recreate all the rules and recreate your model and, and who does that? Um, also consider facility compatibility. Um, smaller buildings, we're talking 10,000, 20,000 square feet, they lend themselves to manual setup and configuration. Um, the biggest impact from an automated uh, system really comes from larger buildings, 50,000 square feet, 100,000, 200,000 square feet. And the reason for this is that larger buildings have more equipment that can't be monitored manually. And they have complex interconnected systems that benefit from an automatic ongoing holistic analysis. Um, and finally, security. Um, what protocols are used to retrieve data? Which network ports need to be open? What firewall rules need to be changed? Do you need to talk about this with your IT team before you get started on this? Um, where is the data going to be stored? Is it going to be stored locally in the cloud on some server somewhere? Are the algorithms going to be performed locally in the cloud? Again, um, and then when you get into automated fault correction, um, there's some security considerations that you need to keep in mind for those two. Um, so to summarize, um, a successful energy analytics program will facilitate decision-making and optimize operations to ensure institutions achieve their energy, sustainability, safety, and resilience goals. Um, and just, um, just like any other program or initiative that you would undertake, start with your goals and plans for the program. One, the first thing you should do when you get started uh, is what are your hopes and dreams? What do you wanna get out of it? And once you decide on the goals, um, think about how you're gonna measure those goals so that you can evaluate your program and course correct as you go. And hopefully this presentation has provided um, some of the goals that you can expect to achieve and some ideas on how to measure them. Next, next step would be to determine a plan. So where's your data gonna be coming from? What are your highest priority systems to start with? Um, what internal resources are available? Um, are there any equipment modifications that would benefit an analytics program? Um, are there submeters or sensors that you can install? Do you need to install a building automation system? Uh, because again, data sufficiency supports optimal fault detection and accurate baseline measurement. And if you can get in from the design phase, it's a lot easier to install that instrumentation during the design phase than to add that once the building is operational. So at that point, select a program, choose a program that supports your goals and is appropriate for the data set and facility types. I hope you pick Analytica, but um, pick the one that's right for you. And finally, uh, develop a financing strategy. Um, make sure to take advantage of any incentive programs available in your region. Um, a lot of utilities, including MassSafe, have programs that cover um, set of fees, ongoing software, um, cost of implementation, engineering services, BAS upgrades, metering. Um, so make sure to find out what's available. Um, even without incentives, simple payback for an EMIS or FDD program is typically less than two years. Um, and make sure you budget for both uh, the program itself um, and other internal or third-party labor that's required to address the findings. Um, and then finally, um, hooray, you had a successful energy program. You've achieved uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars in energy savings. Think about how, can you, how you can reinvest the energy cost savings that you achieved through the program. So that's it for me, but um, I'd be happy to take questions. Um, I hope you found this valuable. If you wanna talk uh, in the future, you could reach me at hweb at Symmetrics. Um, and I was definitely not monitoring the chat window. So um, let me know if you have any questions. Great, thank you, Hadas. We had actually sent out a message earlier to, to save questions to the end. So there wasn't anything in chat yet, but uh, I'm sure some, some folks will jump in shortly. I guess I'll, I'll kick it off if you don't, if, uh, thank you. If you don't mind. What's kind of the ideal um, owner or client 
for for analytics and your target customer yeah are you talking in terms of building type or um the person within a facility um i guess i could answer both questions sure. um for for analytics like, like i said the biggest impact is going to be for larger buildings and that have a higher eui so more energy intensive um, facilities are going to see the most benefit and those energy intensive facilities also tend to be the most complex and um, the automated system will help um, analyze those complex systems in a way that you just can't do manually either because there's there's so many pieces of equipment or the level of interconnectedness makes it complex to look at each of those manually but it's something that a software could do automatically um, in terms of who within the facility, um, we're actually seeing IT teams get more and more involved in, in this process, which is great. We welcome it and I respect their, their interest in getting involved. Um, the building energy managers are of course most interested in, in this product, but um, finance teams are also growingly getting involved um, because they are responsible for the budget. And I think they understand that, that doing these things will help with their finances. Does that answer your question, Adam? Uh, yes, actually, if you don't mind, for the, the first part, um, is there like a building size or annual energy use that you would recommend? Like this, this is typically a fill in the blank. Yeah, <laughs> um, most of our customers are um, lab buildings, pharmaceuticals, um, more than 100,000 square feet. Uh, we're happy to go into a smaller building, um, 50,000 square feet. At some point, you get to the point where our building is so small that it's more efficient for someone to just walk to the, the two pieces of equipment that you have, right? Um, so we're we're the best fit for something that's 100 to 200,000 square feet with more Good. complex systems. Thank you. Um, I see a question here. Um, what is your opinion on managing equipment schedules based on a load factor ratio analysis to achieving load leveling versus optimal start times that tend to bring equipment at the latest possible times may increase demand cost? Um, yeah, this is a growing topic where um, you can create roles that will um, optimize those equipment schedules based on a number of factors, so not just time, but um, climate, um, different uh, cost factors, not just KWH. Um, so yes, that's definitely an opportunity for optimization of, of the scheduling. Um, it, scheduling does, uh, is a significant part of um, the typical fault set that we find in buildings. It's not, um, surprisingly, it's not the one that achieves the highest energy savings, but um, it is one of the more common ones. So any rules that you can develop to optimize that system would, would definitely help. Um, I hope that answers your question, Mike. Um, and from Jim Armstrong, you stated that PLC systems are ideal for shorter timeframes for data acquisition, less for BMS systems than meter data. Is that due to limitations on system memory or other reasons for this? Um, I think you're asking about uh, the polling frequency for um, HVAC systems versus metering systems, if I understand that correctly, Jim. Um, I, yes, <laughs> it's, it's due to um, the uh, speed of changes in the system. So um, in, H, in air distribution systems, we don't see the parameters changing very frequently. So you can pull them more often, but you're not going to get a lot of benefit for that because um, your, your airflow rate isn't changing on the order of seconds, it's changing on the order of minutes. Um, whereas uh, for process equipment, there's, there's changes happening much more frequently than that. Um, from Marriott, what sort of baseline technical requirement do you prefer or need within the BAS system of existing buildings who invest in building analytics such as Analytica? Um, I, I, I'm not sure I totally understand the question. I think um, the real message is the more data, the better. Um, but uh, 
we do like to have um, ten temperature sensors distributed at each point in an HVAC system and any other relevant sensors like airflow um, and zone sensors also. Um, but beyond that, we can read from just about any system. There are some legacy systems that are a little hard to read from, but any modern EAS, EAS system, um, we can read from it. We'll find a way to read from that. Uh, if it comes down to it, we'll get um, Excel files and upload them into our system. Um, Marianne, I hope that answers your question. Um, let me know if you'd like me to clarify a bit more. Yeah, thank you. I think that's helpful. Um, the thing I was also curious about, um, beside what sort of sensors you'd need, is uh, perhaps what sort of trending capabilities, and is that um, an essential component of the existing VAS, or is that something that you guys can provide as well? Because I know storing trend data can be difficult in some VASs we deal with. Got it. Okay, thank you for clarifying, Mariette. Um, we don't use uh, symmetrics. Analytica does not use trend data at all. So there's no trending requirements. We pull data directly from the BAS um, or through BACnet or OPC or whatever data polling is available. We, we do not use the trend data. So uh, for our system, we pull the data live and we store that information in our system and create the trends ourselves. Um, and we've even heard some customers say that they prefer looking at the trends in our system than in the BAS system. Um, because they're easier to, to, to customize and manipulate. So in terms of trended data or, or stored data, there's, there's no requirement for that for Analytica at all. Great, thanks. You're welcome. Uh, this is James Donahue. I have a question. Earlier, you, um, you had a graph that showed that energy savings really peaked at year two, <laughs> then decreased for a few years before there was like a second wave. Um, yeah, so I'm just curious um, your experience with keeping a client engaged after year two, you know, so it's not like they see a diminishing value in year three and then year four, you're gone out the door. Um, sure. Um, we've had some of our customers we've had for five, six, seven years, and we continue to provide value. Um, most of those customers are very large facilities where it takes more than a year or two years or three years to target every piece of equipment across their campus. Um, we can also adjust our level of service. So yes, absolutely. The most um, intensive part of the program is gonna be in the first two years. And after a couple of years, if they wanna back off a little and just leave the fault detection system running in the background or even just leave the data collection running in the background, and have us check on it periodically, um, we can do that just to ensure that the identified energy savings are persistent. So um, it, it's not like it has to be, uh, you don't have to buy the, the whole package every year for forever. Uh, we'll adjust based on your requirements and at a large facility, maybe you do want everything all the time and at a smaller facility, you wanna back off and, and then increase and decrease depending on what your availability is. And, um, and what your requirements are. Um, does, that, does that answer your question, James? Um, yeah, it, it answers my question. I, I think too, um, you know, th this is all about energy savings too, but uh, I mean, there's other benefits of analytics too that I'm sure could be, could be touted too, like, um, you know, keeping mechanical equipment from failing, for example, or, or using data to to help, uh, you know, the root business uh, of whatever your client is doing. So it's true, and some of our customers that we've had for a long time um, still depend on us for um, compliance and reporting. Like I mentioned, the BL three certifications and other reports that they need to produce for for various business reasons. Cool. Thank you. Um. So it looks like Julianne commented, um, an example regarding AHU scheduling and uh, optimal start time, analytics can help determine response time of zones, how long it takes for them to get up to temperature and optimize start time of the associated air handlers. Thank you, Julianne. Um, have, have you worked with NYSERDA on the RTEM program? Um, we're in the process of being uh, 
I figure out what the term is, but official members of NYSERDA. So um, you know, we hope to be part of the R10 program soon. Um, we're a members of other um, regional programs like the PICO program and the PEPCO program in the Mid-Atlantic. We've worked with MassSAVE extensively and, and a few other utilities and utility-like incentive programs like NYSERDA. Um, a question from Marcus. Do you work on very many IT data center type projects focusing on constant 24-7 server load, HVAC support? Curious if you experience um, Curious if you experience any trends for analytics on these types of systems. Um, we don't have any data centers at the moment. Um, we have uh, monitor data centers um, within a university, for example. Um, and I'm trying to think of some of the issues that we found at those types of facilities. I, I think they mostly had to do with um, optimizing the makeup air. The, the temperature and the airflow of the makeup air. Uh, but we certainly would be welcome to doing more data centers. I think that's a very interesting area for energy efficiency these days. Um, from Scott, what is being done to reduce the high rate of false positives that building analytic systems are known for? Um, I like to think that Analytica is not known for false positives. Um, I think we have um, tuned our built-in fault library to actually minimize false positives. We have an automatic prioritization system based on our experience of what customers like to see. So um, a zone temperature that's out of set point is gonna automatically get a low priority as opposed to um, simultaneous heating and cooling uh, of a large air handler. Um, on our system specifically, um, there are different filters that you can apply, like um, number of fault days or uh, percent of time that the issue is in fault. So if you want to um, scale down the number of faults that you're seeing on any particular day, you can adjust some filters like that or filter on just a specific type of issue. So if today's gonna be um, leaking reheat valve day, you can filter on just leaking reheat valves that are just in fault over the last 24 hours um, to, to, to focus your efforts in that way. I hope that answers your question, Scott. Um, from Marco, uh, regarding the extracting value slide, do you have a digital twin building model in the background calculating savings from non-implemented identified savings, how do you address interactive effects of different savings measures? Um, for the most part, we do not use uh, an automated calculation. We have um, analysts doing the savings calculations for exactly the reason that you mentioned, because an analyst will understand the interaction between the different components and the other nuances that go into the savings calculations. Um, and the analyst will provide an extrapolated annualized energy cost avoidance. And we find that to be most useful, um, both for being able to compare different measures. Um, so for example, an economizer issue is gonna have um, a higher savings in, in the spring months and in the summer. So you really want the um, weather normalized extrapolated annualized numbers uh, to be able to get a real sense of the savings associated with that measure. Um, and also because that's what utilities want to see. And um, we submit a lot of utility incentives on behalf of our customers. So we put our effort savings calculations that the utilities will accept for their for their incentive programs. Can, can I build on that as a- Absolutely, for, please do, Mark. Um, so, you know, in your slide, you had like, I think it was zone equipment, which would be downstream and dependent on a mm -hmm. air handler equipment. Do you, I've always wondered about this. So if somebody hasn't implemented a zone equipment fault, but then they do correct it, um, then sometimes the amount of savings from an air handler fault should in reality go down because, um, or vice versa, if you fix the fault in a primary equipment, the zone equipment amount of savings would go down. Do you automatically do that. I know if we do it manually, it tends not to get done. I don't know if you've been able to address that issue. 
so, so again, we do tend to do them manually and we will go back and adjust our calculations if some of the assumptions that went into those calculations turned out to, to not apply any longer. Um, and that's a great example of one of the assumptions changing where we will go back and make those adjustments. Um, and that's the great thing about having an a holistic analytic system is that we have um, every data point from every terminal unit, every air handler from the chill water plant too. So we could correlate all that information and create a more complete energy savings estimate. Okay, hey, great, thank you. Thank you, Marco. Um, I think I've answered all the questions so far. Yep, one last call. Anyone have some last questions? Great. Well, thank you again, Hadas. We will be sending out, uh, everyone should get a, a survey um, from AWE. We do try to just get feedback, see um, from everyone who attended. So you should be getting a link for that shortly. And thanks everyone again. Please keep an eye out for the upcoming uh, as registration opens for our January Energy Outlook. So it should be a great meeting. And thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great, thank, thank you. you.